Hello everyone, I hope you're okay. We're continuing our series this week looking at the church and this morning we're particularly looking at what does it mean for us to be a community of renewal. Just to get you thinking on that track, I want you to consider for a moment this particular question. What do you think a renewed church would look like? What do you think a renewed church would look like? Just Ponder that for yourself, or if you happen to be watching with somebody else, have a discussion about it and, and see what you come up with. Now, don't worry if when you were considering that question, you were like, oh, I'm not quite sure what it's driving at, or you thought that the language of renewal itself seemed a little bit jargony. It is quite churchy language, that, that's a fact. But the word to renew simply means to either continue something after it's paused, or to renew in the sense of bringing fresh life to something that is either exhausted or has just become corrupt. And in many ways, the history of the church and the story of this book, the Bible, is, is a book of, or is a story of renewal, of God renewing his people when they have lost their bearings. But, but if you did try and flesh out and answer that question, what do you think a renewed church would look like? How many of you imagined, for instance, say the church building being rammed of people because it's all vibrant and there was life in there? Or you thought of the church doing evangelism in a new and dynamic way, or you, you imagine the church praying for people and we were seeing healings. Wherever your imagination might have taken you, I'm guessing that a lot of you thought of the church in possibly a little bit of an abstract way as the church out there somewhere. It's partly how I asked the question, so I accept that. But how many of you thought of renewal being about me? me becoming more generous, more humble, more joyful, more alive, and less marked by fear and, and self-protection? Do you think along the lines of God doing a work in me and you, in us? Because there is a risk that when we, we start talking about the church, we do it in such a way that for the most part, we're, we're talking about somebody else out there. And, and for the million and one ways in which we could explore renewal in the next 10 minutes or so I want to focus on something that God wants to do in us individually which in turn can have a massive impact on our collective identity as a community of Jesus followers. I guess to use that the phrase that Amber introduced to us last week individual renewal leads to corporate renewal. I want us to do that by tracing that arc that is mapped out in Psalm 77. It's a great psalm so open it up because we're going to be following it quite closely and just tracing the journey that the psalmist goes through. And essentially it captures how God transforms someone who feels like they are at rock bottom. And as we trace this movement through the psalm, my prayer is that God would, would use it to, to bring renewal to us. Particularly to those of you who feel like actually renewal hasn't touched your life in the way that you might have hoped or expected um, and, and you want to taste that. So so let's put down tools now. Let's just pause for a moment and pray and pray that in, if you like. Father, we, we don't want this exploration to be about someone else. We want it to be about us, about me and you and 
us as a church, as a, as a community. And so we pray that you'll instruct us as we think about renewal in this psalm. And we pray more than that, that it wouldn't be just a, an exercise and observation, but that you would do a work in us and that you would inspire us and that you would draw us to that place where we are open to the power of your renewal. In your good name. Amen. Now, before we jump into the psalm, I just want to note a reality about our context, which whether we, we like it or not, I think colours are thinking about renewal. Uh, and the reality is we're living in a time that is obsessed with events and we expect renewal to be an event that happens in a moment that's captured in a millisecond or a contained hour and then it happens. But it's really important for us to remember that renewal is more than an event. It's it's a process. Renewal is a story into which we get invited. And yes, the seed of renewal may be planted at a particular point in time, but the tree doesn't reach maturity overnight. So let's just hold that in the back of our minds as we as we dig into Psalm 77. And I want you to begin by noting where this story of renewal begins. I don't know how you felt as Maureen was reading the whole of the psalm to you, but with everything that 2020 has thrown up, you might be going, wow, this feels so timely. This feels like it's written for today. Because it all begins with someone expressing the fact that they're not in a great place. That's to sort of understate the case. They are on the edge of despair. It goes, I cry out aloud to God, aloud to God that he may hear me. It's like, hello, God, are you there? In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. There is this deep, deep visceral cry that the psalmist is making. Perhaps to use slightly more language that I might assign to my kids. It's like, Lord, life sucks right now. But then note this, because this is something that I, I want you to sort of underline in red ink, if you like. The closing thought of that opening cry is this. I would not be comforted. Or in other versions, it goes like this. My soul refuses to be comforted. There is this bizarre reality that sometimes, even in our worst moments, when we're at the end of ourselves, we can actually resist renewal. The psalmist here is expressing this tremendous pain, seemingly hitting rock bottom. But even at that point, there is this, I would not be comforted line. He has this set of external circumstances that have overwhelmed him. And he's crying out for God to change them, as we so often do when we hit rock bottom. Our default is often, God, I've got this external storm raging around me, COVID. <laughs> and we want him to take it away, to deal with it, remove it from us. This thing that is clouding our experience of life, I want it to evaporate. Thank you very much. I guess if you step back and take the big picture, you could argue that in our world today, there are various reasons. In fact, probably a growing list of things that can point to stuff which are, which are negatively affecting our experience of life. Whether it's the negative impact of technology, the breakdown of the family and community. I mean, pick your poison. And don't get me wrong, the impact of some of those things is very real. But in ultimate terms... They're what someone has, has perhaps not too helpfully called proximate causes. I mean, don't you just love it when someone gives a summary statement that feels like it makes it slightly less understandable? But we're, we're going to run with that, that phrase. 
It's going to come up on the screen. Proximate causes essentially means something that appears to be nearby affecting our behaviour or affecting the stability of our world. And so we, we point to that as being the problem. So, for example, a really simple and easy soft target is our social media. It's causing us to become wedded to our devices that we carry on with us all the time. And we're all suckers for whatever addictive tactics Facebook chooses to employ. And as a consequence, our mental health is deteriorating. And we go, that, that's our problem. And you only have to watch a film like The Social Dilemma to realise, OK, that is a bit of a problem. But even despite all that evidence, Scripture's testimony is that actually something much deeper than that is going on. Yes, the proximate causes may be having an impact on us, but there is a root cause which is about a much more deep-seated uh, personal dislocation. And all humans suffer this problem because in the grand scheme of things, we are dislocated from God, from our Creator. And the world may offer us all, kind of, all kinds of ways to ignore that reality, but it will not be stilled. So when we return to this line that I would not be comforted, or the other version, which actually gets much closer to the original language, my soul, that's the kind of key word, my soul would not be comforted. So when you think of soul, don't think about it in a cartoon-like way of, of when you die, something which floats out of your body. Think about it as this complete concept of who you are. Your deepest longings, your deepest identity, your mind, your body and your will. All those things bound up together in the truest sense, the truest essence of who you are as a human being. Now, that's the soul. And the psalmist is saying, at that level, at that deepest level of who I am, I can't be comforted. And therefore, God, I'm crying out to you. At the deepest level of what it means to be me, to be human, I can't be comforted. Help me, Lord. Now, our world is full of external things, full of proximate causes. I'm distracted by this, I'm fearful of this, I'm addicted to that, which cover over this paradox that despite our discomfort, despite even being taken to the point of despair, our deepest parts won't be comforted. Because actually there is a storm going on inside of us as well. It's not just an external problem. There is something amiss with our interior landscape. And as humans, we prefer distraction to renewal. There was, I was reading about this really interesting experiment was, that was done. And it, and it was looking at the phenomenon of boredom and how we experience boredom as humans. And the fact that we really just don't like to sit with our own thoughts. And the experiment went like this. They, they put uh, a group of people, individuals in a room that was really low stimulus, really low stimulus, sorry, had sort of white blank walls and literally just a chair in the room. And, and they told people that they had to sit in there for about 20 minutes. And in addition to the, to the one chair, there was one other thing in the room, which was a small machine. <laughs> and this machine would give you a properly painful electric shock. So... Essentially, you had two options as one of the people involved in the experiment. You could be bored and sit with your thoughts, or you can be painfully electrocuted. As you might imagine, the results of the experiment were quite interesting. Uh, there were really different results between men and women. So get this, 25% of women, the 
decided to be electrocuted rather than sit in their own thoughts. You want to take a guess at what percentage of men opted for the shock treatment? Go on, take a wild guess. If, you, if you're going for around 50%, go a little bit higher. 6%, a little bit higher still. Unbelievably, 75% of men prefer to painfully electrocute themselves than sit in a chair having a nice relax for 20 minutes. Why? Why? In the 18th century, a dude called Pascal, a mathematician, a great Christian thinker, he said something profound. He said, the chief source of human problems is that they cannot sit in a room by themselves. What he meant is that when we stop, we are confronted by this dislocation, this storm in our soul, and we prefer to be electrocuted. We prefer to walk through traffic, scrolling through images. We prefer another beer. We prefer another donut. Thank you very much. There is something in us that actually prefers distraction to renewal. And so what we're left with is this really weird dynamic that we can want renewal. The psalmist is crying out to God to act. And yet there is something amiss in us that actually stops renewal, prevents it, hinders it. And therefore, to understand renewal, we have to recognise this, this ultimate truth that God has to do a sovereign work in us. He has to do something that only he can do. And our part, if you like, is that we have to choose to be led into that place. God alone renews, but we have to plant ourselves in the place where he says, look, this is the environment in which renewal can happen. We have to make that choice to opt in for that. But you can't head into it without that, that bedrock realisation that renewal is exactly what I need. I can't manufacture it for myself. It's something that God alone can do. And it involves a choice to walk in what may very well be the discomfort of renewal. Because it's going to push against all those things that are raging internally inside us. And often, as we see in the psalm, the impulse to, to take ourselves to that place, the impulse for that change, often comes when we've hit rock bottom. If you return to the psalm, the psalmist goes on like this. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I thought about the, the years of long ago. My heart mused and my spirit inquired. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his face again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? It's like we're spectators to, to somebody sinking further and further into despair, really dredging the bottom, scraping the barrel, descending to the lowest depths of self-pity. And it, it continues all the way down to verse 10, which begins with just the very small word, then. And it's a powerful little word then. It's something that you could easily skip over. But it goes, then I thought, to this I will appeal. It's a then which ultimately says, whoa, stop. I, I'm going to go in a different direction. A then which says, I'm going to go in the opposite spirit of even what my dislocated soul is pushing me towards. It's partly a recognition of that, that fairly old adage, 
slightly tired now, but the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Renewal often invites us to call for a shift in practice, to do something a little bit different. A really, really simple little example of this is, is me choosing to, to do prayer at 7am on a Tuesday morning to, to pray specifically for renewal. You may be asking, why on earth did he choose 7am? That's an ungodly hour, surely. And, and it's not because I'm an early bird. It's not because I think that the prayers at, said at 7am have more power than those prayers said at 8pm. It's, it's none of that stuff. It was partly because it felt like a really small step towards expressing praise and prayer and worship in a way that wasn't convenient to me. It was a little nod to an attitude of spirit that runs counter to a consumer mindset, which I think we're all prey to. It was partly about connecting to that refrain that Amber talked about last week when she mentioned this whole idea of what it meant to be a, a church humble. It's like, I want church to be different. I want to do something different. And don't get me wrong, it's, it's that is a really small shift. But those different things that might be the little seeds of renewal they, they may be seemingly small to begin with, but it begins at that point of, of making a decision. Then, to this I will appeal. But where does the psalmist then go from there? What does he then do? If you look, he begins to remember. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. This is someone choosing then not to let what is going on around them, COVID or otherwise, and even the dislocation of their soul and the pain of that, they're not going to let those things be the stuff which steers their life. Even in the thick of it all, when it's stirring up all these emotions, and even when there is a load of stuff going on in the world around them, I'm not going to blame that. They choose this opposite spirit, setting their reality not on what others are doing around me, not on what is going on inside of me, but setting my reality on who God is and what he does. And God is a renewing God who brings renewal. And he's done it throughout history and he's doing it in our present and he isn't finished yet. And the psalmist returns to this point where he says, that, that is going to be my central organising principle around which I will build my life. Renewal begins with this act of remembering. And it's not just a, oh, I remember that, sort of some just thought that's just quickly popped into his head. It's a very deliberate act of remembering. It's not even a, a wistful, selective remembering of the past that's about hankering after some romantic notion of how things were. Oh, do you remember the good old days of St. John's? It's a, it's a deep, meditative remembering of God's character and his work in the past, but which has played out often in troubled times for his people. In this psalm, actually, all the, the horror and pain that was the exodus for God's people. It's remembering that God is holy and that actually renewal of his church will involve a refreshing of holiness in his people. But this is a very particular, powerful remembering of who God is and his character. Because who we are 
is defined by where we place our attention. And, and all of that lays the foundations for the next stage of where the arc of this psalm goes. It, and it begins to move towards praise. If you, if you jump to verse 13, he goes, the psalmist, this is, goes, Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? Charles Spurgeon, another kind of old dude, he said this. Before you go out into the world, wash your face in the clear crystal waters of praise. Bury each yesterday in the fine linen and spices of thankfulness. Spurgeon, he's someone who struggled with depression. He was, he was known as one of the great preachers of all time, arguably. But he understood that the fight of some of his own internal demons meant starting his day by speaking out the praises of God. In any situation, even when it seems hopeless, we're invited to put on the garment of praise. And praise does something. It's, a, it, it's about us giving up the illusion of control. The human folly, the origins of which goes all the way back to Adam and Eve and their rebellion. But that illusion that says we're in control of this process. Praise hands back the reins of control to God. It says, God, you are good. You are the Lord of the universe. I'm really not. You've done this before. You will do it again. And in worship and in praise, we begin to reorder that rebellion, which, make, which makes us God with a little G. And we put God the Father back on his throne and by doing that we start to push back against that dislocation in our soul by becoming who we're meant to be not gods but actually worshippers and praises and it's from there if you look if you look to verse 16 onwards you then get this this very dramatic set of verses that sort of takes you way down to verse 19 but it's it's it is like this movie-esque scene it's the waters saw you and ride, the skies resounded with thunder, your lightning lit up the world. It's true Hollywood, IMAX, big picture, big screen stuff. But remember, for the ancients, the waters represented chaos. And this is just a graphic way of saying one thing. God fights our battles. God is ready to fight your battles. And sometimes we just have to remember that's what he wants to do for us and just allow him the space to do that because renewal is not about summoning up whatever resources we think we have to fight the battle whether that's our intellect our charisma our strategies that's the story of the world in the story of renewal it's the people who realize that they can't do it so god is given the license and the freedom to do his work god fights the chaos but then, then check out verse 19. It says, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. And it's like we come full circle back to that reality that when we see the chaos around us, the external thing, the proximate causes that we don't like, we just want them to disappear. And sometimes God in his grace and mercy, he does that. He changes the externals. But more often than not, in my experience and what I've observed with other brothers and sisters in faith, he doesn't do that. He is actually invested more in changing us, in renewing us, in shaping us in his image. He doesn't take the chaos away 
but he will show us a way through the chaos. Why? Because before the outer chaos can be defeated, the external, he wants to deal with the inner chaos, changing us inside first. Because we think it's the proximate causes, but renewal is a process and he's more interested in what he's doing in us than manipulating our externals to suit us. Renewal is what God does and it's something that he wants for you and me. And he's going after the main prize, which is about what is happening inside of you. It's about resetting that internal dislocation in your soul. Why is he so bothered about that? Why does he do that? Why does he want to change that inner landscape? I think it's in part because our inner chaos has to be defeated so that we can then be in a place where we recognise how God works beyond that. The line which stands out for me most in this entire psalm it's, it's the incredible line that comes right near the end. It's in verse 19 again, though. And it says this, though your footsteps were not seen, though your footsteps were not seen, though your path led through the sea, though your way was through the mighty waters, your footprints were unseen. God is at work renewing you in ways you have not seen, in ways that you have not recognised. Renewal is always happening. The invitation for renewal is always before us. And God is at work internally, externally. There are people around you praying for you. God is at work in the world. The whole world is his workshop. But we can miss his footprints. And our inner chaos must be defeated so that we can begin to see this reality. The reality that the whole of the world is God's place of work. And then join him in that bigger project for his world. God wants to release his church from this inner falling in on ourselves, this internal dislocation, so that we can see his bigger project and jump on board with it. He wants to release his church. And that's about an internal renewal that transforms us so deeply from the inside that it begins to spill out of us and into the world. So God's renewal is both small and big. It's macro and micro. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that renewal. It sounds so good. That identity as a church, as his people, of being a community of renewal so that we can be in new and impactful ways, his good news in our community and in our world. Being released, renewed for meaning and purpose, by coming before God and, and letting go of our proximate causes, even perhaps fessing up to some of the excuses that we make in that regard, and just coming humbly before God and saying, Lord, I need to be remade. I need renewal. I am dry and disenchanted and dispirited. And even though I recognise that, there's part of me that doesn't even want to jump on board with it all. So Lord, renew me, please. Help me to remember who you are, your goodness. Help turn that into praise and help plant me in the soil of renewal. Do your work. That's what it means to be a community of renewal. And I hope you're all up for that. Amen. <laughs>